the persecuted church is something that matters greatly to the Lord Jesus Christ. Even if many people are unaware of it, don't know about it. I'm going to show you definitively this morning, in just a few minutes, I'm going to share a much more abbreviated message, but in just a few minutes, proof positive that this matters to the Lord, and He wants it to matter to His church. Turn with me to a couple of places real quick. Start with uh, Philippians chapter 1. If you turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Everyone here has heard of the Apostle Paul, right? Remember he got rich, famous, lots of great things happened to him. Remember? He ended up with six homes, a Bentley, you know, all that kind of... It was just, just the most wonderful life. No. But we know that's not what happened. Uh, we know he went from a place of privilege to a place of deep, humble service to the Lord. But uh, he ends up ultimately in a jail cell. And it wasn't the only time he was in a jail cell. He got, he got there a number of times, uh, but he would spend the final days of his life um, under either house arrest or jail uh, until finally he lost his life at the hands of Nero. Right? Philippians chapter 1, starting with verse 12. Philippians chapter 1, starting with verse 12. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. He's like, I want you to know that against all odds, everything they've done to me has caused more people to know the Lord. Verse 13, so it has become evident to the whole palace guard, to all the rest, that my chains are in Christ. Even Roman soldiers are recognizing God has set this man apart. And most of the brethren of the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Amazing. Some indeed preach Christ, even from envy and strife, and some from goodwill. You know, even back then, Christians were tearing into other Christians for no good reason at all. Right? That's Paul says. Some were even preaching out of envy and strife, even trying to show that they were better than other Christians, which is complete opposite of what God was intending would be the case with Paul. The former preached Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains. Some not only didn't have any compassion for Paul being in jail, they actually were willing to say ridiculous things like, God must not be protecting him. He's not spiritual like us. Because if he was, he wouldn't be in jail. God, the reason why I have this $1.2 million home is because I enjoy the blessings of God. The reason why this other person is persecuted is because they're in sin. Paul would actually have these kind of railing, ridiculous accusations against him, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but not everyone was that way. He said, but the latter out of love. That's what God wants from us. Knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel, what then, only that in every place, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. If you want to turn to the very next book, Colossians, just turn one, maybe probably two pages over in your Bible. Uh, perhaps three pages, depending on your print. Colossians chapter 4, verse 18. Paul ends this particular epistle 
in the 18th verse, said, this salutation by my own hand, Paul, remember my chains. Remember, remember, remember my chains. Don't forget my chains. We can easily forget. And then lastly, the kids actually uh, quoted this verse. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read Hebrews 13.3. Hebrews 13.3, remember the prisoners as if chained with them. Those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are also in the body. Huh. The ones that are being beaten and tortured may be the back, but you're actually part of the body. You might be the hand. So when they're getting beaten or shot or killed in Africa, they are part of the body, but you're part of the body. And to not care of them would be to not care for yourself as if mistreated with them. Long-lost sisters, they were reunited after 55 years apart. You ever seen these stories about people that were separated at birth? There's many of them. You can, you can look on the internet, you'll read many of them. They have pictures, identical twins, fraternal trends, uh, people born in other countries, some in the United States. But these two long-lost sisters, they were reunited after 55 years apart. And they discovered that they are, in fact, twins separated at birth. Jenny Lucas and Helen Edwards, both 64 years of age, had no knowledge of each other after Jenny was given up for adoption until she tracked down her birth mother in 2003. When the pair met, they assumed they were half-sisters, but they were regularly surprised by their similarities, such as the way they held their coffee cups and the way they would uh, call to one another at the same time. Speaking today, the sisters said the revelation left them with many unanswered questions about why they were ever separated at birth. But the sisters said they are so happy to finally have each other and have an explanation for the incredible similarities they share despite spending their entire lifetime apart. I believe... Many believers today are unwittingly estranged from their brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. You know, we have a lot in similarity with that little church in Africa. A lot. A lot more than we would ever know. Not to mention that we all descend from the same family of Noah. But we bleed the same. We grieve the same. We weep the same. We laugh the same. We might eat different foods, but we still like good food. We like to sing. They like to sing. We like to worship. We like to be with family. All these things, the similarities. But even deeper than that, deeper than all that, we are in a sense identical twins and don't even know it because we have the same DNA of the blood of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. The same DNA. DNA, the same blood that runs through your veins and my veins in a spiritual sense is the blood of Christ. But yet, there's no family relationship, is there, in many cases? Because we're in different, completely different regions, different circumstances, we don't see each other, really see each other, really sense and believe as family. And so we're like two identical twins that don't even know each other or hardly know they exist. I really believe that this is prevalent in the church. Just a complete 
non-understanding of the fact that these are not just people out there somewhere. They're actually us. Hebrews 13.3. I can assure you that it's not God's will that we would not know each other, think of each other, and really be family to one another. What do you think? I can assure you it's not the will of the Lord. He wants us to be one, as Jesus prayed in John 17, one in spirit and in truth. This brief message that I'll just share this morning is titled The Forgotten Family. The Forgotten Family. And I'll just look at two things this morning. First, our past and present. This forgotten family, their past, our present. And then second, our part and our privilege. Our past and our present, and our part and our privilege. Why don't we open up with a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you again, uh, Lord, for this time this morning to remember the things that you've, you did not request us to remember these things. You commanded that we remember that you commanded, that we pray for those, and we pray that they would be delivered, as you said in your word, from wicked and unreasonable men. Lord, we pray that though this message is never an easy one to hear, Lord, it's one that you command and you instruct that we must hear and that we must, Lord, enter into a deeper fellowship with our brothers and sisters around the world. Even if we never meet them, Lord, we have that opportunity through the power of your Holy Spirit. And we ask that you would bless this time, this morning, the the teaching of your word. Lord, may they not hear from me, but may my brothers and sisters and those visiting hear from you. In your name I pray. Amen. We live in the United States. We've been given a lot, haven't we? I told some folks recently, uh, I was listening to that, interview with Francis Chan, and he, he was talking about that, you know, look, I, people will f- sometimes say, Francis, you live such a sacrificial life, and I was listening to him, and he said, are you kidding me? I live like the top 1% of the world. If you live in the United States, you have a life of privilege in many respects, more than we, more than we really comprehend. But, you know, Jesus said this, he said, to whom much is given... Much is required. We've been given a lot. As as tiny and nondescript as our church is, did you notice the church in Africa? That is a there's hundreds and thousands of them all over the continent like that. Uh, They don't have a video screen, no sound system, no bathrooms. We have four, not including the number of stalls and everything else. We have four? No, we have, yeah, we have four. I don't visit them all, so, you know. (laughs) I only visit two of them. But, you know, we have an upstairs, downstairs, we have an elevator for people that have disabilities. I look at all that we've been given, and I can compare us to some other church and say, we don't have anything. We've got a gym. (laughs) They have a gym. We don't have that, Lord. They've got, a co- they've got an espresso that looks just like Starbucks. You can get anything, frappuccino, mochaccino, whatever these things are. We don't have any of that stuff, Lord. Stained glass windows. 
pipe organ that goes 40 feet up in the sky, all these things that I'm not doubting, but I'm just saying. And then God would say, but you're looking at the tiniest of percentage of church around the world. That's not what 98% of your brothers and sisters have. They have a house church. They don't have that stuff. To whom much is given, much is required. It grieves K.P. O'Hannon. He, he goes to these large churches where there will be an edifice, and he's like, and meanwhile, our brothers and sisters can't have a second meal, much less a first one sometimes. What about our past? The persecution of brothers and sisters, those choosing to accept the grace of God, it began with the very first family on earth. Did you know that? Abel was killed by his brother Cain. Why? He envied the relationship. He envied his brother. He did not want to follow and obey God, but his brother did, so he killed him. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus said, Jesus said this, I want you to hear it. These are his words, Matthew chapter 23, verse 35, he said, uh, 34 and 35, said, therefore indeed I send you prophets, wise men and scribes, some of them you will kill and crucify, some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Jesus said, all the way back to Abel, the persecution of my children. That's who he's talking about. Not my children, Jesus' children. The persecution of God's children, the persecution of God's church, it started with Abel, and it will not stop until Jesus sets up his earthly kingdom. It won't stop. It'll only accelerate, and it'll really accelerate under the Antichrist like the world has never seen before. And that's mind-numbing to even consider. You guys all know who prophet Isaiah is, right? Isaiah, incredibly used by the Lord, uh, will soon enter into the Christmas season. Isaiah prophesied that Jesus would be born of a virgin. Isaiah prophesied that uh, the government would be on his shoulders. You'll call him Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Government will be on his shoulders. He also prophesied that a, a light would dawn there in Galilee, which would be the Messiah, Jesus Christ. He also prophesied in the 53rd chapter, he prophesied that Jesus would be led as a lamb to the slaughter. He also prophesied of the forerunner of Christ. When John the Baptist was asked, who do men say, that, they asked John who he was, John said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Isaiah prophesied, of not only Jesus, but the forerunner of Jesus, the virgin birth of Jesus, the cross of Jesus, and guess what? Isaiah, at the end of his life, he was sawn in two. What happened to John the Baptist? He lost his head. What happened to Jesus? He was nailed to a Roman cross. Do you find it fascinating that the prophet that prophesied all those things the forerunner that came before Jesus and Jesus himself murdered, murdered, murdered. Martyr, martyr, martyr. That's our heritage. We don't have the heritage of a silver spoon. We have the heritage of a wooden cross. Amen? 
That's, this is the scriptures. And when we understand these things, I'm not saying these things to bum you out. I'm saying these things to open our hearts and our eyes. That we would pray more earnestly for our brothers and sisters who are enduring the heritage that was set long ago. But it doesn't end there. What happened after? And this is, we're just talking about our past. This is our heritage. This is our family we're talking about here. What happened to the rest of our family? The apostles, every single one of them were killed for the faith, except for John, who was banished to the Isle of Patmos, though they did try and kill John. They boiled him in oil, but the Holy Spirit preserved him, which was a miracle. It was like Shadrach, Shadrach Meshach, and Abednego walking through the fire, just ropes fall off. The rest of them all died, just like Paul did, a martyr's death. You know, remember Moses, we've been in the book of Exodus, Moses said to the children of Israel, he said, don't ever forget the downtrodden or the slaves or the, those that, are, um, that have nothing because you yourself were a slave. Moses was saying, your heritage alone should cause you to care. That's what he was saying. Your heritage alone. Even in our own, uh, those of you that are seated here, seated here today, all of us have a different background. We have different ethnicities, different backgrounds. But in everyone here, somewhere in your heritage was persecution and slavery and being downtrodden, whether you realize it or not. You just have to go back far enough. But in the body of Christ, we don't have to go that far at all. All we have to do is open the pages of Scripture. And it's right there with the family of God. This is our past. Billy Graham said, Christ warned his followers that to believe in him would not make them popular and that they should be prepared to face affliction for his namesake. True today, isn't it? And we don't face the same persecution, our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. Maybe that day will come. And I think it might. One of the voices of the martyrs' national context said, you are not far away, my friends. You are not. If you are a Christian, you will suffer. That is the gospel. So pray for the brother and sister around the world, for the suffering around the world, because one day you will need them. You will need their voice. I know they will be praying for you when the time comes. And boy, don't they. They already do. They already do remember us. In uh, the past... After the apostles, uh, the apostles, the early church fathers came, all the Roman persecution. I'd just like to be under Nero or Caligula. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to go into the details. Uh, it's horrific. But it didn't end there. Then came the Middle Ages and the Inquisitions. You read the stuff and you're like, only a demon could come up with this stuff. And that's the fact. Demons did come up with the things that they did to other human beings. It didn't end there. It continued going all the way up until you got to the communist regimes, Nazi Germany, the extermination of Christians, as well as mostly Jews, but many Christians were exterminated and killed as well. The communist regimes of Stalin and Mao, they killed far more than Adolf Hitler, and their number one targets were born-again Christians, far and away. And it continues to go into this day uh, radical countries like uh, radical Islamic uh, factions and radical Hindu factions um, in Syria, mass graves just this week were discovered of Christians slaughtered 
Egypt, churches burned to the ground. Iran, we continue to pray for Pastor Saeed, even though uh, even the United States government at the highest levels now has reached out and asked of him to be released. But all across the world, this is the case. And it's rising, folks. It's rising in the rest of the world. And I believe that way under the current, it's rising everywhere. But it's rising in full raging fires of persecution around the world. These two young girls, who wouldn't want to take them and hug them? Here. Who wouldn't want to say, you can come live in my house? I hope that everybody here would say, yes. Why? Because now you, know, you feel like you know them a little bit. But this is our entire family history of the body of Christ. This is what Jesus said, that, that's me. It's not, just, um, it's not just in the communist countries. It's not just in communist China, North Korea, Cuba. Uh, it's also in the drug cartel countries. They have persecuted and killed pastors and church. Honduras and Mexico have seen much of this. They totally go after the most godly people to strike even more fear into the community. And we even see it in ministries, uh, inner city ministries in the United States. I don't know if you're aware of it, but inner city ministries in New York and L.A. that are doing the most, I think, the, the heaviest lifting in the body of Christ here in the United States. Uh, many of the people that are doing some of the inner, inner city ministries have said they've been beaten, stabbed. Some of their women have been raped, going into places to do ministry in some of the most dangerous parts, and all because they love the Lord. So even in the United States, folks, and of course there's other forms of persecution taking place in the legal system and everything else. But all this, God says, These are my, this is my family. Will you forget your brothers and sisters? Or will you say, well, I don't feel any of that, so I'll just enjoy what I've got. But to whom much is given, much is required. Um, let's take a look at our part, though. What is our part? That's a little bit of our past and our present. I took you in just a couple of minutes. I took you from the garden. Well, actually, just out of the garden. I took you from Abel all the way to 2013 in cities like Los Angeles and New York or Cairo or Damascus. What about our part, though? We know what's happened in history. We know what's happened happening right now around the world. What is our part, though? What does the Lord want us to do? I just want you to remember four things that God wants us to do. Our part and our privilege. Number one is to pray. Every time the persecuted church is asked, what do you want from the Christians in America? Guess what? They don't say money. Even though that seems to be the response of everything in this country. Every government thing... We need more money. Everything else, we need more money. Money is not the answer to our problems. Prayer. Amen? That's the first thing they ask for. Now, it doesn't mean that they don't need tangible things. They do. But the first thing they want is for us to pray. Colossians 4.8, Paul says, Meanwhile, praying also for us, that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I also am in chains. Did you hear what Paul said? He says, I'm in chains, but just pray that God would keep opening doors, 
He wasn't talking about prison doors. He was talking about spiritual doors, opening the doors that more people in the neighborhood, more people in the city, more people in the countries there he was trying to reach people, that God would open the doors. And then in 1 Thessalonians 5.25, he says, Brethren, pray for us. Brethren, pray for us. I already mentioned the persecuted church prays for us. When I've talked to missionaries around the world that have been in some really bad places, they all tell me the same thing. They say, it's amazing the people we meet are praying for the United States and the church in the United States. Some of them are aware that the church is quite lukewarm. Some of them aren't aware. They just think that everyone here is like Billy Graham. That, in their mindset, that is, some of them think that every one of you are a walking, talking Billy Graham. And then others don't, it, it just, it's, it kind of runs the gamut of what they know or what they uh, believe. But what they do do is pray for us, and we're commanded to be praying for them. Number one is to pray. Number two is to care. Now, this is an interesting kind of um, sequence, because a lot of times we think if we, we should care first, then we should pray. Uh-uh. Pray first, then you'll care. Many things in life, and I would say most things in life, there's a few exceptions to this. I'll give an example. One of the exceptions is, how many moms have given birth to a baby? How many moms immediately cared for the baby as soon as you saw the baby? How many moms cared for the baby before you saw the baby? Because you felt the baby kicking and everything else. All right, that's one of the rare exceptions. You immediately care because God puts this baby in your womb. But most things, those are the exceptions, most things you'll have to pray for them first before you'll care for them. Most things you'll have to pray for it before you'll actually really care. I mean really care. You know you care for the baby because even if you got two hours sleep and you're up all night and you're juggling things and you're doing this and you're doing that and you feel like you just want to give up, you don't give up. Why? Because you care. You care deeply. And God put the care in there. But most things you will not care about until you've prayed about. It'll be a fleeting thought. Right? You don't go care for the neighbor's child all night. You care for your child all night. Because God gives you that care. But most things you'll have to pray for. Caring. We must pray first and then we will care. To have compassion for our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world. What else does care look like? Well, care would mean that we would share their stories with others, especially the people that have no idea I'm talking about with other believers. I share this, and I try and do it as loving and gracious. I'm not acting like, pat me on the back because we showed this video. We haven't scratched the surface in what we could do for them. I don't feel, I don't know about you, but I don't feel all, well, we care. I feel like I don't care enough. Not that I care but there's so much more that God... But one of the things that we can do... And every, remember that God is okay with our baby steps forward. He just wants us to take those steps forward. Amen? I, I talked about fasting. You know, I, I, I try and, when I disciple other Christians, I try and encourage them. I say, look, I'm not telling you to go fast for 40 days. Just start with breakfast or lunch. But the point is to start. Amen? start. you got to start somewhere, and God says, start caring, but start praying, and you'll start caring. And when you start caring, you'll have that compassion. And then when you have that compassion, 
What you talk about is what people know you care about. If you tell someone else that doesn't know, and I'm another Christian that you're friends with, and you say, hey, I want to encourage you. We were praying for the persecuted church. Here's a website. Here's I Commit to Pray. Here's the information. I know you love Christ. I know you could care. And just share it. And if they don't receive it, that's okay. But we still are going to do the part that God's given us. Give them the knowledge. We, we, we can write letters on behalf of the persecuted believers to government officials, both here in the United States and overseas. You can go out to vom.org or persecution.com, and you'll be able to see exactly how you do that. Just recently, Billy Graham did write the letter to President Hassan Rouhani in Iran asking for uh, Saeed's release. Now, granted, Billy Graham's voice is a lot bigger than ours, isn't it? Because He's got a global name. But he still used it for good as opposed to not using it at all. Whatever, to whom much is given, much is required. God's given Billy Graham a bigger megaphone, and he must use it. Whatever megaphone God has given you, you must use it. Your megaphone might be an email, but you have to use what you've been given. You can't stand before the Lord and say, I wasn't given anything, because trust me, Jesus will say, let's review. You weren't given anything. Let's go through the list. You had a cell phone. You had this. You had that. You used it. I saw you on weather.com all the time. <laughs> but you never went to persecution.com. We have things that we can use. Joel Rosenberg, he tweeted uh, directly to President Rouhani to accept the grace and mercy of God. Again, he has a bigger voice. People know his books. But it was still bold, by the way. Incredibly bold. Bolder than you can realize. Do you realize that President Rouhani has secret agents around the world? Joe Rosenberg knows this. And yet he tweeted it anyway. Because he cared. The more we care, the less we care about lesser things. You agree with that? The more we care, the less we care about lesser things. The more we care, the less we care about what other people think we care about. We become compassionate and bold at the same time. Isn't that an interesting juxtaposition? We become both compassionate and bold at the same time. Paul was compassionate, incredibly compassionate and bold. Jesus was incredibly compassionate and incredibly bold. John the Baptist, incredibly compassionate and incredibly bold. Why? Because God had given them the heart that Jesus has for the family of God. And not just the family of God. Obviously, these men and women like them around the world through time and our family care about the unsaved. We're not here. That, that's obvious. That's why they're persecuted, because they're trying to reach their fellow members of the community or neighborhood that aren't in Christ. Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 20 and 21, For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are in Christ. He said that of Timothy. He said, Timothy is unique because he sincerely cares. A lot of people care, but do they sincerely care? We, you and I want to get to the place where we sincerely care. I can care a lot more than I do. How about you? A lot more. But I want it to grow as an outgrowth of me being in the presence of Jesus because I know he cares. 
And when I spend time with him, I'll think like him. I'll talk like him. I'll walk like him. I'll act like him. Last two points. Third one is visit. Pray, care, visit. How do we visit? How in the world do you visit non, uh, our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan? Any of you taking flights there this week to visit? Any of you going to North Korea to go visit behind that uh, communist curtain? Can't even get into the country if you wanted to. Cuba. American citizens aren't allowed to go to Cuba. At least not for vacation. I, there is a few exceptions. But, and prayer is the number one way we visit someone halfway around the world. You, some of you may remember I told the story when Richard Wormbrandt, who was imprisoned uh, there for, was it 12 or 14 years? I've forgotten. Uh, there in a the, uh, communist prison. I believe it was 14 but he was there in that Romanian prison. And part of the time that he was in there, the, the Lord, as he was tortured beyond uh, you know, the things that I would mention would make your skin curl. The things that he endured. But one of the things God had him do is he, God had him preach messages to the jail cell that he was in solitary confinement. God told him to just preach even though there was no one in the cell. No one could hear him. And yet... He has a testimony of a man who was in a jail cell in Canada who kept hearing these messages in his ear and gave his life to Christ one day. And when he heard, when, when Richard Wormbrandt got out of jail and wrote out the messages, he remembered them all that God gave him. He wrote them out. The man got a hold and read the message said, these are the exact messages I kept hearing in my jail cell on the other side of the Atlantic. You can visit anyone in the world through the Holy Spirit. Do you believe that? Through prayer, I don't know their face, I can't see them, I have no idea what some of these folks look like, and yet I can visit it to be the throne room of God. We can visit in prayer. We can visit with our pockets, that thing called a wallet or a purse, or what's in your bank account. You can visit, say, I will give because I can visit through, I know that there's organizations like Samaritan's Purse, like Gospel for Asia, like many others, that the Joshua Project, that are actually going in there and they have the direct lines all the way down and they're getting into the deepest parts of the world where you and I can't go. We can visit by giving. We can visit in person in some cases, especially when some are released and brought here to the United States, but even some are released and brought to other parts of the world where we can visit them. And that's usually you have to do that through other ministries. Uh, we can also visit via letters and emails where we really can correspond and let them know we care. Any of you like getting an encouraging note from somebody? I'd like to get an encouraging note saying, I'm praying for you and we care. People are so encouraged and strengthened by those things. This is the forgotten family that God wants us to remember. One last place I want you to turn, Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. I want you to see this for yourself. You've probably read the passage. Maybe it's been a while. Maybe you've never read the passage. Maybe you've read it and just for, didn't realize who, who Jesus was speaking to or what he was speaking about. Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25. Starting in verse 34. Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 34. All your Bibles show red letter, so you, you can be confident this is Jesus' actual words. Our 
collective pastor, our collective father, speaking to all of his children, all of his church, this is what he says. Then the king will say to those on the right hand, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the found, from the foundation of the world. Verse 35, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in? Or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of my brethren, you did it to me. He's talking about our brothers and sisters. My brethren, this is not, this is not UNICEF. This is not the unsaved world. This is brothers and sisters actually had a deep care and concern for their brothers and sisters. These are the ones, he said, these are the ones that remember, they do not forget their family, they don't forget their identical twin around the world, they don't forget the family, they remember the family in prayer and tangibly. They actually gave to them. They actually did things on their behalf. They actually contacted and said, what can we do to help these are the brothers and sisters Jesus is speaking of. Now he goes on in verse 41 through 46. It's important to understand the rest of the story. Then he will say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me. And naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and you did prison, you did not visit me. He goes on. The family of God has a charge, a command to care. Amen? To really care. To really give. And Jesus says, if you have my nature and my character, these things you will do. Now, in the principle of duality in Scripture, there is application here for the unsaved world as well. You guys understand that, right? Even though, but the first priority of the text is plainly stated, my brethren... The unsaved world are not the brothers and sisters in Christ. However, we should be doing these same things for nuns. When we go into Bonaire to visit the kids, we are going to prison, and this applies there as well. But the most priority is our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. And yet, would you agree with me, fair, so, uh, if you look across the landscape of the United States, it's a fairly low priority in the body of Christ at large. 21,000 Twitter followers. Not many people. That's a prayer ministry, by the way. All that is is a prayer ministry. It, it is not to get a clever quote of the day. Even though I like to get good things that encourage, there's nothing wrong with that, but those are not the things. Notice the forgotten family here. Jesus does not say, this is what Jesus doesn't say here. I was at yet another Christian conference and you stayed for all four days. I was at the most amazing Christian concert, and you worshiped and sang for two and a half hours. I was at the Christian bookstore, and you bought five of the new Christian bestsellers. Those things aren't wrong. 
I've done each of the. I, I never go buy five of the new bestsellers. I, I'm usually afraid of the bestsellers. But, um, but I, um, I've, I have bought, I've, I've been to Lifeway and I buy books. I've been to Christian concerts. I've been to conferences. But those things are not a greater priority than what Jesus said here. Nowhere does he mention those things. This he actually mentions. How could we possibly take what he does say and exchange it for what he doesn't say? Does that make any sense? Here's what he said. Here's what he explicitly says, and then we exchange it for something he has never said. Amen? This is what he actually said. And when we stand before him someday, he's going to say, well done, based on what we actually obeyed in his word. He says, this was my family. Why? Why? Why did you not care? They followed in the famous footsteps as John the Baptist, Isaiah, me, the apostles. That's the heritage. That's our family. Isn't it a wonderful family we come from? That Jesus is the patriarch. He is the one that was mistreated. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He most could understand the persecuted believer's discouragement. Amen? And their opposition. He was opposed everywhere he went to the point that the same Roman government put him to death. And the same spirit of Antichrist is around today. The last thing after visit, last thing after visit, is to love. By the way, um, speaking of books, it, there are many good books out there. One that you should probably read is Torture for Christ by Richard Wormbrandt. It's a hard read. Hard reading. Uh, you, it's not good bedtime reading. It's not. But God wants you to read things that encourage and lift you up, but he also wants you to read things that challenge you. Amen? It's not an easy read. It's a hard read, but it's a worthwhile thing to understand. It's painful to read, but it opens the eyes and the heart, and God wants us to love. The last piece, prayer, care, visit, and love. As we pray, and we care, and we visit our persecuted family, we'll develop a deeper and deeper and deeper genuine agape love for them. A love you can't really describe to people. You ever met born-again believers from around the world that you'd never met, and you felt like you loved them immediately? It's the Holy Spirit. I have. And the more passionate they are for Jesus, the deeper the instant connection. And God wants us to develop that kind of love for them. If and when we meet them, Think of all the... Per Do you realize there's more persecuted Christians? I believe it's not even a close number. More persecuted Christians in the world than there are actual Christians in the United States. The latest studies of people, not people that go to church, not people that say they're Christian, but studies of people that are following Christ as the scriptures show as a born-again believer, the, new, the most recent studies are between 8 and 16 I've seen as high as 18% of Americans. In other words, at usually about four out of the five people you meet are not born again. I don't know the actual number. and don't, I, I'm just saying these are recent studies done by Christian organizations that ask people what they really believe. And when you find out that very few actually believe what the Scriptures say, by definition, they can't be born again. You cannot say, well, I don't believe in hell, I don't believe in Satan, I don't believe in this, I don't even believe I have to do anything other than just say this sinner's prayer. 
That's not the gospel. And so, so somewhere in there, we've got people that are truly saved, truly born again, and then around the world, we've got the persecuted church, which we know is quite large, and China alone, the number is staggering of believers that endure. So there's more persecuted believers, I think, without question, than there actually are American believers. So to not remember that part of the family is like saying, well, I've got me and my brother and sister, the other member of the family I couldn't care less about. Now, I'm not saying that's our attitude here. I'm saying that in essence, we can walk that way at times, and God wants us not to be that way. But if and when we meet them, and I said, if and when we meet them, those of us say, of course we're going to meet them in heaven, amen? You're going to meet them in heaven. You'll feel like you've known them forever. If you beat them in this lifetime, you'll feel like you've known everybody in heaven forever. But that's what God wants us to, to cultivate today to pray, to care. Amen? We're going to close with uh, the men coming forward with uh, taking the Lord's Supper. And, and the reason why I think this is, we do this the first Sunday of every month. I'm going to ask the men to go ahead and come forward. But listen to me while they're, we're coming forward. I, I want to have them begin to pass out the elements. The, the taking of the Lord's Supper is in perfect harmony with what we're remembering today. Wouldn't you agree? What did Jesus endure that day? Beaten beyond, beaten so much his face was marred beyond recognition. I'd say that's pretty hateful, hateful, evil, wouldn't you? His face was beaten beyond recognition. His back, his flesh was torn to shreds. He was nailed, spikes put in his wrist and in his feet, nailed to an actual wooden cross. Now, he wasn't the only one crucified. The Romans killed many. But he was killed for a very specific reason. He was killed because he was hated by the religious leaders. And ultimately, he was hated by Satan, wasn't he? And our brothers and sisters in Christ are hated for the... What did Jesus do in his earthly ministry? He healed thousands. He delivered thousands of people from demons. He blessed little children. Why would you kill someone that's doing those things? Why would anyone open fire on a group in a little tiny church in Africa just singing praise songs? Does it make any sense that somebody would kill people doing nothing but good? You know why? Satan is behind it all. He's behind it all. And our brothers and sisters in Christ need us to pray and care for them. But Jesus, when he asked us to remember his death by the taking of the Lord's Supper, not only would we remember what he did, but it would remind us through his death and all that he gave us, it would remind us of our own need for his salvation, our own need for his forgiveness. But it also, it also reminds us that our brothers and sisters in Christ 
are still suffering for the name of Jesus even today around the world. And the same, Jesus said, if they hate, he said, a, uh, a servant is not above his master. He said, if they hated me, they will hate you. Even if all you're doing is praising the Lord in a little dusty church, Satan hates it, doesn't he? Hates it. He'll kill little children. Makes no sense, does it? It's pure evil from the pit of hell, but it was pure evil from the pit of hell. You know, the day that Jesus died, do you realize the party the demonic world was having? Oh, you wouldn't want to see behind the curtain of the evil realm with the day that Jesus was died, when the earth turned uh, dark, as black as sackcloth, and the earth began to quake, and God sends lightning and thunder, the demons were laughing and loving every minute of it because they had crucified the Son of God. But praise the Lord, three days later. <laughs> Isn't that great? Three days later, they weren't laughing. But what they're doing until the end of the age is Satan is pressing the pedal because he knows his time is short. And he knows his time is short. He can't hurt Christ. Jesus is already sitting on his throne. He's made earth his footstool. Who can he hurt? Us, our brothers and sisters, the helpless. So you and I have two things we must do as we take the Lord's Supper. One, we want to say thank you to Jesus for taking all of our sin upon him, taking the persecution that I've never experienced. How about you? I've had people laugh at me or not invite me to the barbecue, not get a promotion at work because I follow Christ. I've had those things happen. They're pretty small. No one's ever opened fire on me because of my cause for Christ. But Jesus, we want to thank him collectively for saving us from our sins. And then, you know, we want to close at the end of the uh, Lord's Supper. I'm going to close in just a prayer for our persecuted brothers. But first and foremost, we want to remember our collective father. We have the same dad. Isn't that great? Those in Africa, those in India, those in China, those in Central America, those in South, we have the same father. 